Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. The other half. All right, tonight we're continuing our study on prayer. Of course, last week we looked at the don'ts. Now we're going to look at what you do. So we're in part two of fortifying your war room, and part two is building up your armory. So last week we looked at what would cause breaches in the wall, and now we're going to build up the armory. And I would have to say that the very first thing on the list would have to be discipline. Everyone wants to be a disciple, but nobody wants to be disciplined. That's kind of the root word in disciple. It's connected. You, you ha- There's no such thing as an undisciplined disciple. It's an oxymoron. Allow God to give you some perimeters and stick to them. Uh, I had tried one time. I was like, okay, we're going to set a time every night, and at this time we're going to go to bed early at like 8.30 or whatever, which is early for him. I was like, and we're going to pray and do our devotions, and we're going to spend this time. And then all of a sudden we were listening to this David Wilkerson sermon, and he was like, you need to set some perimeters and be disciplined. You need to set a time to pray and do it or you're not going to do it. And uh, it's true. You do have to be led of the Spirit. But when God first moved me into a lot of prayer, that's kind of how he did it, you know, and like, Yesterday, I got the whole day to myself, and I literally was able to pray the whole day. And I was so happy and so excited, and I didn't have obligations. Nobody was home except for a little while somebody came over for help with a dream. But for the most part, I got to pray the whole day. I loved it. I was just so excited because before, you know, Danny was married, and before I was doing so much in the church, I would do that a lot. I've always prayed a lot. But it was normal throughout the day when you need something, when something's going on. Oh, God, you cry out. But really, when my prayer life really started for expansive prayer, God had put me on a 21-day fast. And he said, for the extent of this fast, every night at 8 o'clock, pray. It's like, okay, because, I mean, pretty much a fast without prayer is just a diet anyway. So... I was like, okay, so every night at 8 o'clock, I'd shut, you know, shut everything down, lock the doors, and I would pray. And the first night, you know, might have been 30 minutes or whatever, but by the end of that fast, I was praying three or four hours a night, every night, you know, in this deep, wailing, intercessory prayer, and God was pouring stuff into me and giving me words for people and telling me stuff that was going on. And then when the, the fast was over, it continued, because by then I had a hunger for it. But it took the discipline of him saying, okay, every night for 21 days, at this time, get on your knees and pray. And so when I stuck with it for a while, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good, I got a taste for it. And then I stuck with it. And after that, there was a little time, and then he called me to another fast, and he said, do the same thing. And he didn't tell me that every fast, but by that point, I was pretty much doing it regardless anyway. But there were a couple of times where he gave me that order. And when I got really comfortable doing it every night, then he switched it up on me. And he started giving me these scriptures about seek me early and you will find me. And I'm like, ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) I can do it at night. (laughs) 
but he was preparing me for a different season because now being married and with the ministry and all of the obligations that we have come the night I'm so exhausted it's hard to put in that warfare that I used to could put in at night because you know you, you put in 10-15 minutes and you pass it out so now he's got me getting up at like 3 o'clock in the morning to seek him for the manas and pray and all of that and at night too with the devotions and everything so he'll start to increase, increase and give you different times when you're uncomfortable but the obedience of being disciplined enough to, to do it it's the same thing as a fast okay well if God is not about giving you set things to do then what is a fast a fast, you're, just, you're being told before you start, go for this length of time and eat these things or don't eat these things. He's giving you a perimeter, and you are have to be disciplined enough to follow it. So set a time to start praying and a minimum time to pray and a length of time by which you will do this. Now, I would say, you know, set yourself a time every day where you're going to stop and, and pray. I give myself a minimum time. You don't have, I mean, if you can pray for two hours, great. But I would set myself a minimum time. Okay, I'm going to pray for 20 minutes at this time every day, no matter what. And even if you just have to sit there and soak, if you run out of words and your worship, still spend that time. And if he gives you more, stay in it, but don't go less than the set time. And don't start with something ridiculous. Actually, I would pray and ask God, what do you want? Just like you would with a fast. When you start a fast, you pray, God, what do you want me to fast? And you get those perimeters. So I would seek the Lord on the perimeters. But unless he gives you something extremely exorbitant, I wouldn't start with a four-hour time minimum because <laughs> you're going to get discouraged. I would start more like 20, 30 minutes. But like I said, pray. Discipline and crucify the flesh that the spirit may be strengthened just like you would with the fast or your flesh will always be stronger than your spirit, and you will be weak to every temptation of the flesh. you got to discipline the flesh. And, you know, I, I say, I think a lot of times parents today do their kids one of the greatest injustices that they don't realize with a lack of discipline. The devil has really put forth a lot of effort. I mean, if you turn on any kid show, Disney, any TV show, anything, you're going to see a push to not discipline. You're going to see kids sassing back. You're going to see in the schools, in the home, there's such a strong push. Don't discipline your kids. Don't whip your kids. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why? The Bible says spare the rod, spoil the child. What does spoil mean? We get these cute little t-shirts for our babies that say spoiled by grandma and so spoiled. And we're like, oh, it's so cute. Spoiled means that you've taken all the value out of something that was valuable and made it worthless. You don't say, oh, I spoiled yesterday's dinner by leaving it out. Isn't it so cute? You're like, ew, that's spoiled meat. It's useless. Throw it away. And that's what it means when it says spare the rod, spoil the child. It means it's of no more use. It was valuable, but now it's worthless. And now, if he's given you different times or pullings throughout the day, pray then too. But until you get in that habit of hearing that voice and praying to start with, I, I would start with a set schedule of something. I mean, we set to come and pray every Saturday night, you know, and it's because we're setting that time aside for God. Now, 
you know, when you set that to start with at home, it, it's probably not going to be a permanent thing. But it's really just to kind of get you into that mode of teach you discipline, teach you praying. But if he's pulling at you at different points throughout the day, then by all means, definitely pray whenever he's pulling you. Because a lot of times when you feel that pull throughout the day, it's because he wants to tell you something right then and there. And it may be to give you a word for somebody or to put something on your heart that is needed in that moment. Second question is, uh, some of y'all have kids, some of you don't have kids. Mm -hmm. So my question is, when it comes to my kids, you know, at home, should I enforce and make them read the Bible every night? Should I enforce and make them pray every night? Or should I just kind of, every once in a while, hey, let's do this. Not every single night, but every once in a while, encourage. Hey, you're pretty good now. I wouldn't Sometimes I think that I need to, to maybe get them to maybe read more scripture. Maybe, yeah. you know, and, and like you're saying, like set a time for them. Should I set them a little time at 9 o'clock for 15 minutes reading? Our parents, we had Bible studies. I, I don't remember if they were ever in life. It seemed like they were ever in life. But it was pretty regular. It was pretty often that we had Bible studies. I remember one time that we were having so many Bible studies, I stuck my ears full of emotion scenes because I didn't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> and my mama got some water to wash them out before they scolded and ended up in the hospital. <laughs> there, with kids, it's good to have structure. It is. But at the same time, you do want to allow them, encourage them, or I should say, to reach out on their own too. So pray about what the Lord would have you do if it were me. I would set a short time, like maybe 15 minutes of family study prayer and, you know, stuff like that, and then give them, say, okay, well, every night we're going to give an hour to God or 30 minutes to God or whatever. Do your 15 minutes as family and then tell them, okay, you can go to your room and do whatever you want, whether it's pray, listen to worship, sing songs, read the Bible, but do something for, you know, the other 15 minutes or whatever. And then it kind of encourages them to kind of hear from God, too, on what they need to be doing. And, and, but it is still good to encourage and promote at the same time without, you know, dictating what it is they do. But even if they resist it in their youth, it's still, those seeds are still being planted and it will come back to them, you know, later. So I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to, you know, smother them with it. Well, you know, a lot of people that are leading in churches today were smothered when they were kids and they hated it for a while but they came back to it because it says that you know when you train them up young male they won't depart when they're old it doesn't say they'll never rebel but it's in there so it is good for structure with kids also but we are <coughs> kids at heart to God so we need the structure just as much as they do so again it's not to be legalistic but there is <coughs> A, a principle, if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to be disciplined. And so if that's what it takes, for me, God did that, and it worked. And regardless of, of what state we're in, because you can come to a place where, I mean, you're just praying, but it's still that discipline, that crucifying the flesh, that sitting down and spending that time with God. When you're married, you know, when you first get married, you know, and you, you want to spend that time together, you want the dates, and then, you know, after 10 years, there comes a point where it takes a little discipline to keep building that relationship. You've got to set the time to be together. It's not always a, hey, I want to drive halfway across the state just to 
take you to a movie, sometimes you really have to stop and think, wow, we really haven't spent a lot of time together. We're drifting apart. We need to make a point to go to dinner or to go to the river and go fish and just spend some time together. And your relationship with God is kind of the same way. The longer you're in it, the more comfortable you get in it, just like a marriage. There comes a point where you've got to take a conscious effort to really put that time in with him because you lose the butterflies and you don't always have the pulling, but you still need to make the effort to do it. Or, or let them pick. You know, if yeah, you're going to say, okay, well, every Tuesday night we're going to have family time, you know, Bible. This week, Seth, it's your turn to pick what we're going to do. Okay, Ethan, next, engage, engage them yeah. next week. Or, or you teach us something. You teach a little Bible study. Or, you know, the next week, let they, the other mean, one do they it. They come in and they get fed spiritually. I mean, you can they, they, and all the kids are. Yeah. But you do need to work with God. And yeah. so, they, you know, and that's what I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to incorporate some of that. And that's why this is such a good, you know, right. thing. Now, when I'm talking about discipline, I'm talking about discipline in ourselves. I'm not talking about discipline the kids with no, the no, Bible. No, no, no. But I do say that a lot of the reason that people are handicapped spiritually is because they can't take correction because they weren't disciplined as children. They don't know how to receive discipline from the Lord or be disciplined because they never were disciplined. They were never corrected. So when God corrects them, they throw a hissy fit and a tantrum and say, oh, that's not love. Because as a child, they were told to get whatever you want equates to love. And so when they come before God and he's like, no, you're a spoiled child, you need to be disciplined. Then they throw a hissy fit and they leave the faith. And I, so I do see a lot of that. The modern church needs to grow up. They need to be spiritually mature. And that's why. Because everybody's still acting like spoiled children because they were never disciplined. Because discipline matures you. So, see, we have to discipline ourselves sometimes. Well, really, it's God disciplining us. We're just submitting to it. But we need to seek God for his perimeters, for his direction, and be obedient to what it is that he is calling us to do. And in the area of prayer, he's going to tell you, okay, well then I want you to pray and whatever perimeters he gives, just like it would with a fast, if you feel, God, you want me to fast, what are your perimeters? What do you want me to fast? How long? And how do you want me to do it? You do the same thing with prayer. Okay, God, when do you want me to pray? How long? What do you want? Let him set those perimeters for a certain length of time, just like you would with a fast. And stick to it for that length of time and see how it affects your spirit. Matthew 26, 40 and 41 says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Pray and watch that ye enter not into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He asked them to pray for one hour. He gave them a perimeter. He fell asleep. And he came back and he's like, you couldn't pray for one hour. I just told you to pray for one hour. You couldn't be obedient to do that for one hour. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So when we seek God for those perimeters, we hear his word and we obey it. We're crucifying, we're disciplining the flesh, which is strengthening the spirit. When the spirit is strong and the flesh is weakened, we will then learn how to walk in the spirit. When God put me on that 21-day fast and said, pray every night for at least an hour at 8 o'clock, 
and I was obedient to do that, and by the end I was doing three and four hours, that's because the flesh was getting weaker and weaker every time I was obedient to do it, and the spirit was getting stronger, and so I didn't have to fight the flesh to pray, and I didn't have to stir up the spirit to pray because the spirit was getting stronger because I was feeding that spirit and disciplined and crucifying the flesh. So it does have a benefit in it. Discipline is key to being a disciple. Jesus told them to tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they tarried and prayed as he instructed. And after they had obeyed, stayed, and prayed, the Holy Spirit came and many miracles with him. When Jesus left, he told them to stay in Jerusalem. He gave them instructions. And then he told them, stay and pray, wait till you're endowed with power from on high. It's kind of the same thing. We're seeking. We're like, okay, God. We want to be endowed with your Holy Spirit. And he says, okay, follow these simple rules. Stay, pray, and wait. If they had not been obedient to follow those perimeters, he would not have come. So the devil likes to throw this concept of, oh, that's legalistic. But legalistic just means following the law. And what is the law other than God's commandments? We're not exempt from obeying God just because... We have faith. The faith should make us want to obey God. So now we seek him and we still obey, but we do it for a different reason. When he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, they never asked for miracles. They never asked for gifts. They never asked to be imparted with miracles or the ability to give miracles to others. You know, most people now, they're like, oh, give me the Holy Spirit because I want gifts. I want gifts. What can you give me? What will your Holy Spirit give me? They weren't seeking that. In fact, the only person in the New Testament that did was that sorcerer, I think his name was Alexandra, and they rebuked him for it, said your heart is not right on the matter, so you don't get it. You better pray that God would forgive you for that. But all they really did was be obedient to pray. When you're obedient to pray and seek the Lord, supernatural stuff is going to happen regardless because his spirit's going to come and his spirit is supernatural. Leonard Ravenhill kind of made this point, and I think it's very interesting. The, the disciples were with Jesus for three and a half years. They heard him preach. He was the greatest preacher the world has ever known. They saw him do miracles. He did miracles greater than anything most of us will ever see. They saw him prophesy. They never once asked him, Jesus, teach us how to preach, or teach us how to prophesy, or teach us how to do miracles. They never did. They asked him, Teach us how to pray. And that shows the importance of prayer. Because if you are praying, then you are communing with God. And he will teach you how to do all the rest. Because if you're preaching or doing acts or works out of something that somebody taught you, if you're mimicking, if you're working through teaching, it's not of the Holy Spirit anyway. So really it's just conjuring, it's just repetition, or it's witchcraft. But if the Holy Spirit is working through you, if you're spending that time in prayer to commune with the Holy Spirit and hear him and be led of him, you don't have to be taught how to preach. It's going to happen whenever the Holy Spirit wants to preach. It's going to preach through you. Whenever there's a miracle that needs to come forth, he's going to tell you, hey, go lay hands on that person. I want to do something. You don't have to be taught how to do the rest because the Holy Spirit is the teacher. We just have to learn how to commune with him. So I find that very interesting that prayer... It's so important.
that it's really the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do. The next one is to build your prayer life in the secret place. Matthew 6, 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. A person that prays in public but not in private is doing it for men and not God. He's a hypocrite, the same as a man who puts on the facade of Christianity in church but doesn't live it in his private life. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that it's wrong to pray in church. He's saying it's wrong to pray in church if you're not praying at home because you're just doing it to be seen. I get up here every time there's a crowd and start wailing out big prayers, but I'm never doing that at home where nobody sees it. What does that really say? God sees your heart on the matter. He's like, you're only doing it for them. Of people. So here's yes. your, you got your reward. That's you your reward. It. Yeah. You don't get anything You're not seeking my face when it's just you and me. Right. He will reward you openly what you pray in private. And I can tell you he does. He will bring miracles into your situation. And the people that you pray for, they may never know that you prayed for it. But you will sit back and watch those miracles happen. And nobody else may ever know. But you know, and God knows, and all of heaven knows that your prayers were heard when you pray alone. So don't neglect prayer in the secret place. That's where you build real prayer. If you have a real prayer life there, you can then bring it out. And it will feed and affect others in the public. But if you only pray in public, it's a dead prayer. It's just a show. It's really not doing anything other than fluffing you. The, uh, the secret place, or secret room, I guess, like the movie show, yeah. does it have to be like a closet? Can it be a, there, I guess they just say that because it's private, it's yeah. closed in. And for most people... Only you can fit in there, kind of. That's right. And most people, you know, there's several people in the home, and it's hard to get that alone time, so you've got to go hide in the closet. When I lived by myself, I, I mean, I never prayed in a closet. I, I had my living room because there was nobody there but me. You know, now that there's more people, sometimes God will tell me, go to the river, go for a walk. You know, sometimes he wants me to get out. And now he's telling me to get out of the house more than it used to be because now I'm finding that the house distracts me a lot because I have so much to do. When I'm praying, the devil's like, hey, you got to get this done. You got to get that done. And it's kind of pulling my attention. So God's like, go sit under the tree outside where I don't see the stuff around me that I, you know, that's going to distract me or go for a walk or go do something. So. The secret place is just any place that, is, that you can get away with you and God. If you can get away on your front steps, then that's fine. But if you have to, go lock yourself. I mean, there's been times when there was just so many people around and I couldn't get away that I just had to go sit in the shower for two hours, like get all pruny, but I was really just hiding so that I could pray because I desperately needed prayer, but I couldn't get away from, from the company. So I was just like, well... Surely they won't bother me here. Go lock myself in the bathroom. Like I got a bunch of kids. I know mommies do that. I guess spiritual mommies do it too. <laughs> but yeah, any place that you can get alone with God. Okay, and now continuing. We're actually going to continue from 
where we were and go into the, uh, the Our Father. Now, again, when they asked him, teach us how to pray, he gave them the Our Father. Now, that doesn't mean repeat this prayer in vain repetition because the first thing he said when he told them, teach us how to pray, was don't pray in vain repetition. In other words, don't repeat this as your prayer, but this is an example of how you pray. So you can dissect the Our Father for a blueprint of kind of how we should be praying. Now again, be led of the Holy Spirit in your prayer, but there are still general rules of how we pray. And this is what Jesus taught when the disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. So continuing on. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So now he begins, after this manner is how you pray. So don't pray in vain repetition. And as I kind of mentioned, I think it's Sunday school, I kind of mentioned that. We, we know that really it was referring to things like where you're going to say the same thing every time. It's vain repetition. Your heart's not in it. You don't mean it. You're just repeating it. God's not hearing that because you're not even hearing that. But I think for us also that don't do the repeated prayers, but yet sometimes we kind of just rattle things off and we're not really intentional with what we're saying. We've just come accustomed to saying some things over and over, and you're like three minutes into a prayer before you even start thinking about what you're saying. <laughs> I think a lot of that kind of plays into it too. And he's saying be intentional. You're talking to God. You're not just making noise. You're not talking at him. You're not talking about him. You're not just doing something for the sake of doing it to appease God. You're actually having a conversation. So if I'm having a conversation with Miss Edith, she wants me to be thinking about what I'm saying, or she's going to be like, you're an idiot, I'm going somewhere else. I would remember that a conversation is two ways. That's right. So when you're talking to God, you ought to, you ought to be answering you. Or Give him a chance talk, to speak back. Talking back. Yeah. And he started, he said, pray after this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which means you start your prayer by addressing who it is that you're praying to and give reverence. So when you start the prayer, you start, Jesus started, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You don't have to say those words. If you truly mean those words, you could say those words. But basically he was saying, open your prayer by addressing who you're praying to and give him reverence, give him praise. We should always start our prayer with praise. We should never open our prayers with, gimme, 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 what can you do for me? We really should always start with praise. I'll talk to him all day, and he talks back, and then there's times where he says, get to prayer, real prayer. Like, we need a war for somebody, or you need to get a word, or you need to get yeah. something. But even throughout the day, there's still you know, that constant talking and communion and praying, and even when there's no words, singing in tongues or praying in tongues. That's the point we, we are striving to get to, where you are literally praying without ceasing. But it doesn't typically start like that. And for a lot of people, you know, and what we're going through is for somebody that has no prayer life at all, where do I start? For me, the best part in that starting was when God gave me that structure and said, do this. 
it's a, it's a discipline. They're not disciplined. You got to do it. So um, your your goal is to get to where you can be praying and talking to God all day long. And I think there's still times when He calls you to that prayer closet. I think regularly. So continuing with the Our Father, and Jesus said, "Pray after this manner." The first thing he did was to address who you're praying to and to give praise. And I think Will is right. That's probably the easiest place to fall into vain repetition because you're like, okay, how am I going to praise God? Okay, you are magnified. You are glorified. Holy is your name. Okay, and then every night you're saying those things until you don't mean it anymore. You can say those same words and mean it and it not be vain repetition, but it becomes easy. So for me, one of the best ways to be in true praise is to really think about things that he has done for me that is worthy of praise. You know, to sit down first and thank him. Thank you, God, that you've done this. Thank you so much for helping me with this. Thank you for teaching me that, God, you are glory. You are so worthy of praise. I did not even see that until you pointed that out to me. Kind of go through the things in your heart that he's either done for you or your loved ones answered prayers, things he's pointed out in you, even corrections that he's shown you. Kind of go through those things in your spirit because that stirs up your appreciation, which allows you to bring forth real praise without just kind of going through the same words, okay, you are holy, you are worthy. You know, you can be like, when you think, oh, wow, God, you pointed that out to me yesterday, and I never saw that before. You are so holy and wise and just awesome. You know, you're just awesome, whereas before you'd be like, God, you're awesome. You don't mean it. Really put some thought into why he is awesome, why he is holy, why. And really that comes through what he is doing in your life. And, and I will say that in this prayer study and, and even in other things, I think one of the things that hinders people's spiritual life and prayer life and connection with God more than anything is not being thankful enough. You know, we come to him constantly whining and complaining and murmuring and telling him what we want him to do and we're not thankful for what he's done. And I find that when you turn that around and really give that thanks and that praise and that appreciation and thank him for everything that's going on, even in the bad times, thank him. It just turns everything around. It puts the joy of the Lord back in you and you start to see breakthrough quickly. I mean, he's obviously going to be a little more eager to help us when we're thankful. (laughs) When your kids are ungrateful, you kind of just don't even want to do things for them sometimes. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Address who you're praying to and give reverence. We need to start with praise, and I think a lot of times, really, that boils down to thanks more than anything else. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the building of God's kingdom and for his will to be done, not your own. Immediately after praise, thanks, and and who you're addressing, the first thing he did was pray for God's will. So... For that person that said that it's doubt to pray God's will, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Start addressing God's will and pray for God's kingdom. He said, you know, he's praying, God, for your kingdom to be built. So we're praying for God's kingdom, for God's benefit. We're not really so much praying. Isn't that a a great showing of your faith to pray for his will because you're trusting him for his will? Right. That's what faith is. If we don't truly trust him or that he is God, if we're not trusting his will, then we're really not trusting that he is God. We're putting faith in ourselves. You know, he'll answer those prayers as long as it's according to his will. He's not going to give you something outside of his will. And if he does, then it's not going to be good. 
Because if we remember the Israelites prayed for something outside of God's will until he gave it to them. And he said, I'm going to give it to you till it comes out your nose and it killed them. So don't pray for something out of God's will just because you think if I pray, have enough faith, it's going to happen. You know, we need to we need to seek to be in accordance with God's will, no matter what it is. So, yeah, everything with balance. You know, a, a lot of issues I think that people have is that they just won't submit to God's will and they beg God, you know, and throw hissy fits and want their way all their lives. And so it keeps them from selfish, it keeps them from submitting and God's will is always better anyway. Your prayer should always be, and I forget where it is, but it's in scripture where it might have been David, one of them prayed, Lord, make me love what you love and hate what you hate then you'll always have the desires of your heart because it'll be the desires of his heart. And, and when we pray in accordance with his will, those prayers will be answered. But we don't want to pray for anything outside of his will. Now, when he has spoken it to you, believe in faith and stand on that. And, and I do understand what they're saying in the concept of you don't have faith that God can do it. Well, then he won't because you, you really do have to have, pray that prayer of faith. You have to have faith that he can and then he, you know, he will if it's not outside of his will. But I think a lot of times people are not so much thinking that God's not God enough to do it. Most times they're just thinking that they're not worthy to receive it. We got to quit telling God what we want him to do and start asking him yeah, what said that they had more faith he wants us to do. do. Right. More than they did, you, know. you remember last week that was that was really the focal point and what most people do wrong in their prayers is that they spend all their time telling God what they want him to do instead of asking God what he wants us to do. That's really what true prayer is, is when we find when we commune with God to get our instructions. He is like the head general of an army. We are in a war. We're foot soldiers. We don't go to the head general and say, OK, I want you to do this and this and this and this. He's like, get out of my way, you little peon. You know, we go to the head general and we say, what are your orders? Tell me what I need to do so we can win this fight. And then you get to win the fight. Then he prays, give us this day our daily bread. So this is the request for basic needs, but also spiritual too, because Jesus is our daily bread. He was the bread of life. He was the manna from heaven. So really when he says, give us Lord our daily bread, it's kind of implying a bit of both. It's not just a request for physical, basic physical needs, which he's saying it's okay to, to request because you need your daily bread you know, to eat, but it's also a representation of Christ himself. But Christ was praying it so he couldn't pray for them to pray for him. So he did it before he was crucified. But he was the daily bread. That's your manna. So when I get up every morning and pray for the manna, that's basically what I'm praying. Give me, Lord, my daily bread. And, and I think there is an, uh, an aspect of it of implying to pray for your spiritual. basic needs. But, yeah, really it's more about Jesus. It's more about the spiritual food than, than the physical. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Then at this point he's seeking forgiveness and to help you forgive others. Really this in a way is almost a bit of a sinner's prayer. Because the first thing he did was address God. You know, he, he's giving praise, he's giving thanks, he's asking for God's will, he's building God's kingdom, he's requesting Jesus, the spiritual bread, the basic needs of our souls, 
Um, and then he's asking forgiveness at this point and asking for help to forgive others. Because remember, the Bible says that if we don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive us anyway. So at the same time that we're asking to be forgiven, we're also crying out for God to help strengthen us and make us better. Help us that we can forgive others. Show us if there's any wicked thing in us. It's not just a, oh, God, forgive me of what I've done wrong, but God, help me to not do wrong. Help me to see the wrong. Help me to do right by others. Help me to forgive others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's a plea for grace to abstain from sin and recognition that the glory and power of God's kingdom rest in his grace, which when we, we humbly seek it, keeps us from falling into temptation and delivers us from evil that we might inherit the kingdom of God unto eternal life. So the end of the prayer is a plea for more of God's grace. It's a humbling and a plea, God help me to not fall into temptation. Remember that as long as we are crying out continuously for God to help us to avoid the temptation, and we mean it, it's not vain repetition, he will always show us how to step around those snares. He will give us more grace because why? We're humbling ourselves to seek him and not being prideful and thinking that we can figure it out on our own. And this is just about the most selfless prayer that can be prayed if you think about it. The points, what did he do? He worshiped and praised God. Well, he acknowledged God first, but then he thanked, praised, worshiped. He prayed for the building of God's kingdom. He prayed for God's will. He prayed only one sentence for his own basic needs, the daily bread, which were spiritual and physical. He prayed for forgiveness, but to also to help him to forgive others. And then he prayed for grace. He prayed for avoidance of sin that he might be able to walk in obedience to God's will. So this is a prayer, and again, you don't have to cookie-cutter this prayer, but he's saying that this is how you pray. In other words, don't pray your will. Don't pray selfishly. Pray like this. Now, the next point that I'd like to touch on is get a prayer partner. But don't forsake personal prayer either. What we do on Saturday nights is awesome. Corporate prayer is powerful. But you can't negate the personal prayer life either but even in your own prayer life it helps to have a prayer partner whether it's a spouse or a friend somebody to kind of help keep you accountable especially in that discipline area hey I'm just gonna kind of not do it tonight and they're calling hey it's time for prayer prayer partners help agreement helps and they don't always have to be with you there's a lot of times when you know I've got friends that will be like okay at 9 30 tonight we're going to pray. We're in different states and different places, but we're all going to pray at the same time. Sometimes we'll text a little bit first. Sometimes we'll call. Sometimes we just make it a point to do it at a certain time. That agreement in prayer still helps, and it, it, it builds. Now, I will say that when somebody is praying with you, it helps. Like me and Jessica are praying, and then I'll pray for a little bit, and then I'll run out of words, and I'm done, so I'm just praying quietly in tongue, and then she picks up. And she'll pray for people on her mind, but while she's praying, I'm picking stuff up in the spirit. And so when she stops, then I can pick up where she left off and pray those things that the Lord dropped in my spirit. Sometimes I'm getting revelation about things that she's saying and praying for, so then I can come back and pray or give those words. 
and then I'll stop again and she'll pray and you can kind of bounce back and forth and then sometimes God's like okay go pray for her because the enemy's coming against her in this area so I can pray over her and she's strengthened it comes back what would have been a 15 minute prayer had it been just me is now a two hour prayer session and there's a lot of breakthrough and a person that I might have prayed for for 10 minutes now has gotten 20 minutes of prayer because when I stopped praying for them she started praying things she was picking up and then I prayed something I picked up and it kind of went on that prayer partner it does definitely help but at the same time I would still say it is important to still have your personal communion with God yeah we do it on the phone a lot more now sometimes when we can we do it in person um, married couples I highly recommend that you try to get your spouse, if at all possible, to do prayer with you um, at least once a week, you know, to get a little time of that, that prayer built up together, even if only to pray over each other still helps. But, uh, but yeah, over the phone, and even, even if, like I said, you can't even get together, but you can say, hey, tonight at 9.30, we're going to pray for 20 minutes, you can feel a difference. So... Prayer partners are a good weapon in your arsenal. It's important to get alone with God, but equally important to pray in agreement with others. You get revelation, instruction, and encouragement praying alone, but you get breakthrough praying in agreement with others. And especially when God is starting to put something in your heart and then that other person picks it up, like the other night whenever Miss Edith had said something I think it was to Danny, and Will was like, I was just thinking that. I was about to say it. Didn't that build your faith that, oh, I really was hearing from God. Had you been alone, that you wouldn't have gotten that. So when you're with yeah, somebody. God told me to uh, tell him to claim the land as he flies over. Yeah. He had just told me the same thing, but I thought I was daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I just thought that. I was going to say. Yeah. So those things definitely build your faith. It encourages you in the prayer, and it, it helps you to recognize when God is putting something in you whenever you're starting to pick. And especially when it's like if you're praying about somebody else. Okay, I'm praying about a friend or you know somebody at church or a family member, and I'm crying out for them. And then when I stop, you know, God, I kind of feel something in my spirit, but I think it's just me. Then when I stop and that prayer partner starts praying and they pray, that thing that I realized, oh wow, I really got something for them because that is lining up with what I got. Or maybe you started to see a little something but you don't really trust it yet. I think that's just my imagination. These things do kind of help to train you to recognize because you're starting to be able to put it together over the prayer partner. So it, it's very beneficial. The other morning when I was praying and God told me to write something in my prayer journal, and I started to write this thing down. He gave me this word. It was, you know, not a bit, very long word, but it was very specific, very concise, and it was right before all this stuff started in, in Baton Rouge with the, the shooting, and it was pretty much pertaining to that. And then at the very end of it, he said, look up verses about my pavilion. My pavilion, okay. Well, Basically, the word he was giving me was about what was about to happen in, in Baton Rouge with all of that, with the shooting and everything and the rioting and all that. And then he ended it, look up my verses about, look up verses about my pavilion. So the last word that I wrote was pavilion, and I had it dated and everything. Well, a few days later, when this stuff happened, I was uh, texting with, with Amelia, 
And she was like, ooh, that's kind of scary, all that stuff that's going on. And I was like, well, I just went back and read it. I was like, yeah, but you know, God gave me this word. And I felt like to show her, but I still was kind of like, I don't know, you know, because that's it's scary. It's still scary to show people, you know, when you get a thus say of the Lord, because what if they think you're crazy? What if you're wrong? They're not going to, she's not going to believe me that I caught this before it happened. She's going to think I just wrote this and put a back date on it, you know whatever but I really felt in my spirit that God wanted me to show her so I took a picture of it with my phone and sent it to her I was like you know it's gonna be okay this is what God gave me and this is the instructions that he gave me you know for this season and this is what we do and it ended with uh look up the verses on my pavilion well she texts back she's like freaking out she's like wow wow oh my god oh my god she was like, when did you get, and there was a date on it, it was a, you know, a few days before. She was like, on that date, because she homeschools her kids, and they have a little board, and she writes verses on it, you know, and she was like, on that day, I wrote that same verse about the Lord's pavilion. She was like, and I couldn't fit the whole thing on it because I wrote too big, because I was using big chalk, because I had bought it for something else, and I, didn't, I couldn't find the little chalk, and I had the jumbo chalk. And I couldn't fit the whole verse because the chalk was too big and it ended up where the very last word I could fit was pavilion. And so like where I wrote it, it ended with look up verses about my pavilion dot dot dot. On her board, it ended writing the verse pavilion dot dot dot. And it was on the same day. So for her, it was a big encouragement that she had picked up something from God. And for me, it was an encouragement that I had heard from God not only in the word, but in giving her the word. And for her, it, it was an encouragement that I had encouraged her because she doesn't get to experience that kind of stuff that often. And that's just the, the good things about having prayer partners. I wouldn't have gotten that confirmation. She wouldn't have gotten that confirmation. The faith wouldn't have been built. And then, you know, so it's good. It, it really helps. Sometimes I think he wants to teach us to, to trust him and, and in those situations. But that's why I say a prayer partner is good because... In the corporate prayer, it's easier for you to sit quiet and tell yourself, oh, that's not me, or somebody else will get it. But when it's just you and one other person, and it's going back and forth, it's going to come out of you. If it was just me and you sitting down praying together, you would have never questioned, oh, God, you know, do you want me to say that? You would have just, because it would have had, you'd have had to say something. Yeah. So you'd have let it come out, and it would have confirmed back and forth. So... It's really good, I think, with the prayer partner because it kind of forces you to take your turn, you know, and to, to use those, those gifts. In Matthew 18, 18 through 20 says, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them in of my Father which is in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them also. And another good thing about a prayer partner, again, and I'm talking about just two people, is that not only does it force you to participate and start to use those gifts, um, but it, it confirms and it trains you in hearing the Holy Spirit and operating with the Holy Spirit. It trains you how to know whenever the Holy Spirit's also telling you, hey, hush up, I'm going to move through this person now. Or, hey, it's time for you to speak up and move. It helps you to recognize the cues. And the devil, the first thing the devil's going to do, especially when you're praying with spouses, this is, I'm going to already tell you, this is what the devil's going to do. 
Everything that you feel led to pray, he's going to tell that person, hey, they're just poking at you. They're just calling that out because they want to tell you that's what's wrong with you and you need to fix it. And then they, they, everything they pray, he's going to tell you the same thing. Don't believe it. And we've got to break and get past that point because praying over that person and breaking things off is a key part of having a prayer partner. That's why you want a prayer partner more than anything else is to recognize stuff on you and be able to help pray those things off and break those things off. You don't always see things on yourself the way somebody else can. Yeah. You don't, you don't see things yeah. on yourself. You yeah. really don't. Um, fervent prayer. All right. This one is, I think, a big a big key. Again, it kind of ties into vain repetition in that it's pretty much the opposite of vain repetition. We should pray a fervent prayer. And fervent is intentional, focused, attentive, laboring, a desperate prayer. It's the opposite of the vain repetition. So that's probably a good one to stop on after we go through it. But um, intentional, focused, attentive, laboring, and desperate prayer. Praying for a breakthrough, praying for anything. Truthfully, you know, and, and I know we're quoting Raven, uh, Leonard Ravenhill a lot, but we're doing, you know, the book that he has that is mostly based on prayer. And, you know, he, he made a comment. He said, I am convinced that God does not hear prayer. God hears desperate prayer. And it's true. I've never prayed a desperate prayer that God did not answer immediately. I've prayed prayers that it seemed like nobody was listening. But when I really get intentional, when I really pray that desperate focus, hey, I'm talking to you kind of prayer, then God is listening. Because a lot of times it is vain repetition. Even when we're saying what we want him to hear, we're not really saying it to him. We're not putting forth that effort to really break through and make sure that we are reaching heaven. And... Again, we relate this to our spouse a lot of times that, you know, if you're watching TV and not really paying attention and you just say something in passing and, you know, but when you really look, we're going to sit down and we, we really need to talk. There's a dialogue. There's a connect there. And that desperate, that fervent prayer, that intentional, really making an effort to connect with God, being desperate in that situation, it connects. James 5, 13 through 18 says... Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is he merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And this again kind of ties back into that prayer partner confessing your faults one to another. That is probably one of the most important aspects of a prayer partner is to have that trusted friend that you know will pray for you or that person that you can go to and say, something's wrong. I'm not feeling my connection. I don't know what it is. Pray with me. Let's see if the Lord can confirm something or, hey, I'm struggling with with this issue i'm struggling with doubt in this area i'm struggling with pride in this i'm struggling with heartache i'm broken your faults remember it doesn't say confess your sins one to another that you be forgiven because that's what 
the priests kind of use as their excuse for saying that you have to go confess your sins to. It says confess your faults one to another that you may be strengthened. So if I go to Candace and I'm like, I'm really doubting in this area and God has given me this promise and I know he's going to come, but I, I just, I'm so broken and I'm doubting and she can pray over me and give words and give, she is strengthening me. I'm confessing my faults. I'm confessing my weaknesses or even if there really is a sin issue, hey, I'm stumbling in this area. You still strengthen each other when you're praying one another for each other. That person that you trust that's not going to run and spread gossip everywhere, that's really going to fight for you in the spirit and pray with you until this thing is figured out. Sometimes it takes a while to figure out what's going on, what's wrong, or what God is doing. But it helps to have that person that's willing to pray with you, be in agreement, pray over you, rebuke the devil, fight, you know, do whatever needs to be done. So that kind of ties back into that prayer partner aspect to confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there's a couple of keys here. There is a fervent, effectual, fervent, effectual is just effective, fervent prayer. So intentional, focused, attentive, laboring, desperate prayer of a... What kind of man? Righteous man availeth much. So there's two keys there. The man has to be righteous because if you're a sinner, your prayers aren't being heard anyway. Remember the prayer killers, that was the first thing on the list. What will kill your prayers is being in sin. So if you're a righteous man, your, sin, your prayers will be heard. And the fervent, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much and here's the example Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are in other words he was human just like us he was subject to the same temptations as us <clears throat> and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months and he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth brought forth fruit so he's saying that he was just like us he was subject to like passions. In other words, he was tempted by the same things. He was no different than us. But his prayers were effectual. Why? Because he was a righteous man and he prayed fervently. In 1 Kings 18, 42 and 43, we get a glimpse of him. And it says, and it's just two verses because I just want to give you a taste of, of the kind of prayer that he prayed. It says, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and, his, and said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. You want to talk about a fervent prayer? Whenever... He wanted to pray for the rain to come back. It says that he fell on the ground with his face between his knees. He was praying. He was groaning. He was balled up with his face between his knees, praying fervently for the rains to return. He sent the servant up. He come back. He said that there's nothing. He's like, go seven more times. Because I know I am not sinning. I am a righteous man. And I'm praying fervently so this will happen. And we all know the story on the seventh time there was a tiny cloud and 
Fed built the service up. I mean, he tried his little doubting. Okay, six, six time, man. Hey, ain't nothing to be here, you know. Yeah, he was praying fervently by the seventh yeah. time. God, I can't make it up this mountain again. Yeah. When he says that, and that's kind of the point that's being made in this, the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man of Avis Mother, and he uses him as an example, and he says, he was no different than us. So why was his prayer that literally stopped the rain and called the rain so effective? Because it was a desperate, a fervent, a broken... A broken a he, you, always have, you can't always have that. You know, it's when you're going through something, you have such right, yeah. But on everyday thing, you, you know... You, you, know can, you can come to a place, and you're right, but honestly, I think God lets us go through things to teach us the effectiveness of those prayers pain focuses you and God told me this before you know he was like pain focuses you you will have that prayer when you are hurting and but you'll come to that place where you can recognize how to break through how to fight you need to get mad at the devil and fight through till you break that point because God told me at one point you know when things were good and, and going good and I could feel that drifting that's getting harder and harder you know and God told me the winter's coming again you better pray and for me the winter is that that hardship because when he gives me dreams of snow and everything that's that's bad spiritual season i want to be in the spring all the time spring is easy spring is good spring winter is terrible but in the winter you stick really close to the fire it's cold it's dead it's dangerous but you stay close to the fire and the fire, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you. That's why most people that are in a very close place with God that you see moving in miraculous things are usually people that went through something. They went through something very traumatic. They almost died. They went through a long sickness. They went through something that required them to have that broken, fervent, fighting, you know, that prayer that was really intentional and laboring. It brought them through it, but when they came through it, they didn't let go of that connection. Pain focuses you, but God brings us through the wilderness, but he never intends for us to stay in the wilderness. If you stay, you'll stray. Eventually, you're going to lose it if you stay in the wilderness. So he means to bring us through to teach us how to depend on him that when we get to the promised land, we can still have the lessons learned in the wilderness. But... You know, God told me, going back to what I said, you know, he told me, he said, the winter's coming again. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go back to the winter. That's terrible. And he said, but you haven't been faithful to keep that fervent prayer. Things have gotten too easy. So now you're going back to a place of pain because you need to focus. And I realized, and he told me, he said, I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to be going through hardships. I don't want you in the wilderness or in the trials. But you have not put forth the effort to press through and to maintain that connection. So now we have to go back to relearn that connection. And this was you know, a while back, but you can come to that place where even in the good times, even in the spring and the summer, you can still have that connection and stay close to the fire. But we have to learn that connection in the winter. We learn those connections in the hardship. We learn how to build the fire in the winter because we need the fire in the winter. But once we really learn how to do it and get good at it, we can still build the fire in the spring and in the summer. But we've got to put forth the effort because we don't seem to need it as much. We, but it takes more effort. But you can do it. You can do it. So now I'm to a point where I'm like, okay, God, I don't want to, I don't want to have, don't, don't, don't take me there again. I got it. I got it. I learned the lesson. 
And so I can, I can break in, I can push through, I can have that fervent prayer even when times are good. Really, for me, the only thing that really hinders my prayer life is the, de- the devil busying. So much stuff to do to get, to get the time. That's really my only hindrance right now. I could, I could pray for a week straight. I'm good. In fact, I would be happy. In time. There's times I think tribulation needs to come so I can go to jail. Because I just need everything to leave me alone. for. A, I, I'd be happy in a cave. I'd be good. I'd be good. Just give me my time with God. You know. So it's very difficult. But you can come to that place, but it is hard. And the bad thing is, is that if we don't put forth the effort to really fight and break through ourselves, it's, to a degree it's spiritual laziness, but to a degree it's just not knowing because we don't know how to build a fire until we've been so desperate that we had to rub the sticks together until it happened. You know, so, but once we learn how to build that fire, we've got to put forth the effort to really fight to get through and get mad at the devil. Get up, fight, deal with him, get rid of him. Break through the hindrance, put forth the effort. Hey, if getting into that place of intentional laboring fervent prayer means that I have to duke it out with the devil for 20 minutes first, that's fine. You know, that'll focus me. I'd rather get focused beating up the devil than get focused getting beat on. So it'll work. But Psalms 51:15 says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise for thou desirest not sacrifice else would i give it thou delightest not in burnt offerings the sacrifices of god are a broken spirit and a contrite heart O god thou wilt not despise a desperate prayer is a humble prayer and that's really what it boils down to more than anything else i think that desperate prayer it's that humble prayer. It's that broken prayer that's, that really cries out to the essence of God. You are God. I am not, and I really need you. And I will fight all of hell to get to you right now because I need you. And I think that's really what the desperation boils down to. And I think that's what moves the heart of God more than anything else, is that desperation that I'm going to get to you no matter what. Psalms 51 is a good example of that. Go ahead and read it. The whole chapter. Oh, the whole chapter. Yeah, so the whole chapter. Well, that'll be that's, y'all's homework. So that's a, that's a really good broken prayer. Broken prayer. Yeah. Well, your homework is to read all of chapter 51, and we'll go ahead and stop there and pick it up next week with the rest of them. Is it like, I was saying, like um, when, when someone's broken mm-hmm. and it's and, and like the Bible says, Jesus was always moved by compassion. Right. Isn't that where the compassion, like he sees you, he's like, oh, man, my heart's exactly. yeah. for you. Yeah, it moves his heart because of the compassion. And I think he's also moved to the other degree, like because you're not always, though we're probably broken more than anything else. um, I think he's also moved when we are happy, when we're thankful. When he does something good for us and we can't be broken because we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he really did it. Remember the the leopard, when he healed the leopards and they all left except for one came back and thanked him. And that really moved him. And um, so I think that when he does move for us in a blessing or something good, that we're no longer in that hurtful, desperate, broken state that really focuses you, we need to shift it to a lot of thanks because that focuses us too also whenever we're giving him praise for what he did, but specifically, not the vain repetition, specifically, thank you for this. When you really think on what he's done, it gives you the words to give that true praise from the heart. That's good because, like, a lot of times, like, I mean, when I'm broken, I'm crying on, I know I can get to God. Yeah. But when you're not like that, when you're on the other side, yeah. it's harder 
to get the guy. And like, it is hard to kind of reach. You on that mountaintop. Yeah, yeah. Even you have the brokenness. So, but that was good. You know, like, thank him. Thank, thank him. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.